Hey, here we go, here we go. Uh, Mary, tap. Way to go, Mary. Put me under that law right there. That's this, Mary, right this. When you do this, Mary, that's under the law right there. Okay, uh, you're hurting me now. Doing my best. Holy cow. I don't, yeah, you're a lot of fun, and there's a lot going on. Let's go. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who of your fatherly mercy didn't spare your only begotten Son, gave him up to death and to the cross, we beg you now make us faithful through this week. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to guide us that we may be heartily comforted by this grace, be on guard against sin evermore, and patiently bear whatever you send us in true obedience, that we live only for you through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, good to see you. There's a lot popping. Uh, nice stuff, but thank glad you like each other because you hardly noticed we're 15 minutes late. I had an, uh, you know, apparently there was a confusion about it before we're having Bible study. We need to do a little better job. The thing about the services was just reading the services. It wasn't the, you know, the, the omnibus announcement. But uh, in any case, we'll go, but we won't go next week, okay? Uh, we'll have some fun next week, so... It's a little bit lighter because people are on spring break, so pray for your friends who are away. Hopefully they'll find a good place to have Easter, and, but come back next week and it should be fun. Questions about anything, just about St. John, anything in general, anything you want to know? Thanks for coming to church. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming to Bible study. Questions about anything? Uh, you're probably sick of listening to me about the capital campaign. I'm sick of listening to me. So, you know, I see those things and I'm like, really? So, uh, anyway, today's the day. If you haven't turned in a pledge card, go online and turn it in. That'll make John Crow's life easier. He will probably probably pay for a mass to be said in your honor sometime this week. I would I would take the chance if you could. Whoa, not very many, not very well. Hmm. John, say a mass for me this week. Okay, so uh, anyway, other than that, no no questions about anything. Uh, so it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting last couple of months, and it will continue to be interesting. So here we go. I mean, this brilliant quote from Newhouse uh, a few, I guess last week, maybe the week before we read it, I can't remember, but he says, hey, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to talk about myself, right? So this great thing about when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk about the shed blood of Jesus. And then later there was that quote when he said, you know, Christ isn't really fastidious about how strong your faith might be. Right, of course, all this is trying to get your focus off yourself this week. Everything is about getting your focus. Even when Pastor Bukes, and he was a genius this morning, but even when he says to you, to love is to be obedient, is to believe, is to be, be obedient, is to love. I mean, that's just, just like, you know, when you love and obey, everything works. When you love and disobey, your life goes to sadness. But the Lord will always have you back because there's only one story in Scripture, and that's the story of the prodigal, and that's your story, and back you come, and this is a great week to come back to the church. So you should welcome, you know, sometimes churches are a bit hard on people who just come at Christmas and Easter. Yeah, we'd like more from people, but um, at least for you, when you see people that you haven't seen since Christmas, welcome them genuinely and bring them near because Jesus is there for them too, and he'll sort them out. You don't have to. So when you get there, you should um, plead the blood of Christ. And as you do that, you remember that the cross is the axis mundi, right? The center of the universe. It is the center of the world. It is the center of history. It is the center of life. It is the only thing that even matters. There is nothing that matters but the cross of Christ. Sidebar. I started um, this whole thing 
this year movement through John, we've taken a little bit of a detour because we do need to tend the cross. But we, if you think back to what we've done this year, basically we've traced how John meets all the people that you know one by one by one. You know, the pietists, the academic types, the people who have been outcast, the people who are alienated from themselves and from other people, the people who are broken. So that's been Andrew and Nicodemus and the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery and the man at the pool of Bethesda. And you've seen how Jesus engages them all differently because they're different people and love is, proper love is different for every person according to what they need. So a, a parent who says, I love all my child, all my children equally, um, it would be better if they were a liar than telling the truth at that point. Because every person is different and every person needs love in a different way. And one of the clevernesses of being a parent and a pastor and a congregational member and living in a family and going to Easter dinner with people you haven't seen for a year who may not even like you is to love them in the way that is particular to them, to their strengths and to their weaknesses. And that's what you've seen. You've seen this repeated love over and over again of Jesus engaging people. And, of course, what's been so interesting, think, you know, think where we were when we started. When we started, you remember, I gave you a couple things to read about um, how hating people makes you stupid and how technology is changing the world and how just when we started a few months ago, Google and Facebook were on top of the world, Right? And now everybody's decided that they are, in fact, the Antichrist, right? So it's so interesting. This will not last, so you shouldn't, I wouldn't say that you should short either of them. But uh, you just, you know, you, those are your own decisions. You have to see Yonker or Strutzel or somebody about that. But um, you remember now that that, that that sort of doesn't matter to us. So this whole notion, which is so, you know, Google starts with the notion of do no evil. And now this great surprise that people may have used Facebook for devious purposes. You're kind of like... If you wanted any proof of original sin, just watch 10 YouTube videos. It's right there in front of you, right? The stuff that people do. I have a brilliant, there's a brilliant article in the Wall Street Journal about a month ago. Someday I'll use it for church, but about how Facebook hired not employees, but temps. $15 an hour temporary people, so they don't have to pay benefits, uh, through a temp agency to watch videos, and sort them off the site. But what the problem is that you have videos, these people watch all day long videos of bestiality, of mutilation, of child pornography, of people being blown up, of people being beheaded. And there was an interesting article about how people, two things happen, they, they're broken, and of course with no health insurance or no counseling, so you know you just bring the next guy in at $15 an hour, so they become broken or they become hardened. And they can see any sort of torture or humiliation and it doesn't bother them a bit, which is what the Lutheran Confessions say, what, what happens under the law, that you become either um, a terrified sinner or you become a proud sinner. Nothing bothers me, everything bothers me, right? It's just so interesting how everything comes along. And, you know, we in our generation, I won't see it come back to me, Maybe you will, or maybe your kids will. But it is interesting what's happening in the world because this re just in the time that we've been together since September, the reawakening of conscience in America, right? And the lack of 
confidence that technology will save us. It is, it is remarkable just in these few months how much things have changed, which is why it's so important for you to be steady and loving. You know, love is obedience, the sermon this morning. Love is obedience. Is there any difference? There's no difference. Love is obedience. Is the gospel, is the Christian life. Love is obedience. Because God loves you, because Jesus loves you, he says, follow me, right? So this remarkable thing of following him all the way to the cross, but without making some sort of detente with death. Jesus is not going to tell you that death is okay, which is what the modern, the postmodern world tells you, that it's going to be okay to die and everybody dies. And when your family and friends go to hospice, this is the thing that you want to listen for. Um, of course, people try to make you comfortable, but there's, there's sort of like the way hospice goes when people say Jesus is for you, and then there's hospice, which is this happens to everybody. Yeah, it happens to everybody, and it's not good news because we don't make detente with death. We don't make peace with death. Right? We don't just say this is the way that life was supposed to be. The life was supposed to be exactly the opposite. Now, pause. You know sort of the intricacies of the Christian story that, as you'll see at the vigil on Saturday, you die with Christ, your very big death and that very big thought, and then you rise again and you live your life in love, which is to live your life in obedience, which is to live your life in mercy and service and generosity. And then someday you'll stop breathing. But our reaction to that should be as shocking as that is because it's against everything that was intended from Eden on. That will be utterly shocking for you and painful and yet not as big a deal as being baptized. Your big death happens in the font where you are, as Luther says, cemented to Jesus. Right? You're cemented to Jesus. So what happens to Jesus happens to you. And this is why all week long you say to yourself, what happens to Jesus happens to me. What happens to Jesus what happens to me. When you come to the vigil and we read those texts, Old Testament and New, what you're saying to yourself is, what happens to Jesus happens to me. This story is my story. That's the whole point of the week, that this story is my story. And at the bottom of that story is this very simple notion that Jesus loves you and Jesus will never hurt you. And if you can just understand those two very basic things, that Jesus loves you and Jesus will never hurt you, everything else sorts itself out. You would think that you couldn't build a church on that, right? You would think that the most powerful and persuasive and elegant and magnificent institution that's ever been seen on the face of the earth. You would think that it couldn't be born by 10 words or less. Jesus loves you. Jesus will never hurt you. Seven words. It's all really you need to know to get through life. And yet all of that will be tested this week. And even when the Father damns the Son on the cross, um, of course, This is what Jesus remembers about the Father, that um, whatever comes to him, uh, it's perfect, and that perfection is shown in love. So this very simple thing is what we will celebrate through the week, that Jesus loves us and Jesus will never hurt us. And then, of course, um, the point of being Christian is not just staying out of hell, this is just one of the saddest things that's ever said, that the point of being Christian is just to stay out of hell. No, the point of being Christian is to be shaped into the image of Christ, 
to be pressed into Christ's image and to live in love, to live in obedience, to live in service, to live in mercy. And then that beautiful sort of, I think, St. Teresa of Avia today at the end, pain is never permanent. Right? See, this is the way of the saints, people who are geniuses like St. Teresa. They can get it into five words or less. Pain is never permanent. Right? And so at some point, you, you know, the ultimate stretch is to welcome your death as a gift and a blessing which in fact is what Jesus does when he says, as last words, into your hands I commend my spirit, right? And so all this sort of nonsense in the modern world about how the crucifixion is some form of abuse or is barbaric or we've kind of worked through all of these things, what in fact this is, is Jesus obeying the Father in love to the point of despair and the point of death. And yet, he's vindicated then on Easter when he's raised again. Passive verb in Romans. He was raised from the dead. So the Father does it to the Son. So they cooperate in this this week. And then in full confidence, the, the Son, who in the epistle for today, did not count equality as a thing to be grasped in the high school group this week. Um, Pastor Bukes was astonished when he, he listed a range of virtues. And the one that the kids chose most quickly and by majority was that everybody was equal. Right? It's very strange. It's great American talk. It's very strange Christian talk. Just even on the face of it, if you just listen to the epistle for today, that Christ did not count equality. Christ who is perfect, right, holy, God and man, Christ did not count equality with God things to be grasped, which would mean to you that equality can't possibly be the chief virtue. Can't possibly be the chief virtue. It really must be something else. And of course, the chief virtue is love. It's everywhere. You know, if you've seen Christ, you've seen love, First John. We've done this before. So um, that in you too now. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to repent of everything and shape up your life and come back round so that you too, with Mary, now all the way back to where we are, you remember that the last words that Mary spoke, so there's Mary at the cross, when all the, all the strong men have run away, right? There's Mary at the foot of the cross, and the last words from Mary, John 2, wedding of Cana, were? Yeah, do whatever he tells you. Which is about all you need to know about life. Just do whatever he tells you. Four words, that'll get you through. Jesus loves you, Jesus won't hurt you, do whatever he tells you. This, this is a remarkably simple way to move through life. And, of course, life gets complicated, you know, more complicated than your horrible bracket for the NCAA tournament. It's that bad. That's how complicated your life is. Because you didn't have Chicago. Because, one, you don't like the Catholics, and two, you don't believe in Sister Jean. So there you go. I mean, that's, it's just you should repent of that today, right? I can't bring you all the way to root against Michigan because there's so many of you here. <laughs> all right, so, um, you know, we can't do everything that we were meant left to do, but I do think that you should, through the week at least, you know, part of the reason I write all this stuff out is I'm not going to actually say what I write. This is like, you know, you get two for one. Just think of it as the early bird special in Florida, okay? Just think about it as that way. You know, you, kinda, you, know, you kinda, kind of get both things, but you... You imagine how um, Jesus from the cross, you know, behold your mother, behold your son, 
and you sort of have this sense of, you know, they didn't, you always see these things where Jesus is 19 feet high looking down at people. Hey, if you're a Roman soldier getting paid minimum wage, that cross is too big, right? I mean, seriously, this is just like, this is a basic, you know, thing, which is you're just going to get them off the ground far enough that they suffer and eventually suffocate. That's all you're going for. So, you know, Jesus likely, you know, is, you know, this far from his mother's face, right? Not like way up there. And if you've been close to people who are dying or suffering, you can imagine, you know, what this is like. So, you know, you're this far and you're considered an insurgent and you can see what they do to insurgents and yet you've been asked to obey and to love. And so John and Mary come and obey and love and they're, you know, they're this far away from Jesus, which is just a heck of a way to watch somebody die. And it's the most brutal way that they could imagine to um, kill people and, you know, there it is. It happens to God. And so then, I'm all the way then to the fourth word, which I think is what I gave you for today. Yeah, this is where we're starting, which is this horror of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is very hard going, right? This is very, very hard going. Uh, People write doctoral dissertations on this kind of thing. But the simplest way, perhaps, for you to think about it is this. When God needs to choose between you and himself, he chooses you. Now, you can work out all the great atonement theories and who got paid off and what it meant and where did it go and what does it mean for a father and a son and what does it mean for a son and other people and a son and a mother and the disciples and all that. But at the at base of all these things, you, even if you can't explain it, the simple thing uh, for you to see is this that when God has to choose, he chooses you. Or he loves you so much, I've said this to you in a sermon, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than hold your sins against you. Which is a really good reason for you at some point this week, whether you come to private confession or whether you go to the Eucharist or whether you come to services, it's a really good reason this week for you to just drop your sins, you know, over the rail and leave them there. Because Jesus knows what to do with them. So when Jesus has to choose between himself and you, he chooses you. Or a different way to say it would be when Jesus, uh, Jesus loves you so much that he'd rather die than hold your sins against you. This is unbelievable behavior. This is not human behavior. This is divine behavior, capable for humans in Christ. But he is divine. And he loves you so that he would rather die himself. And this then, you know, for all the arguments against it, is a noble thing and quite understandable. If you think to yourself, you can think of people for whom you would die, probably starting with your family, um, your children particularly, and then sort of friends that you have. You can can, uh, think about it. But what you should do to be on the receiving end of that, what you should do is try to engage the horror of what this means, of how you feel when somebody else steps in front and saves you. There'll be five examples of this. There'll be one a day, every day until Easter, if you just pick up the newspaper. There'll be a place where somebody pulls somebody else to safety, but, you know, drowns instead. Tom Meese, the first guy, the first, if you, who remembers Tom Meese? Anybody on ESPN, you early ESPN fret boy watchers? Do you remember? (laughs) This is the story. There you go. Do you remember him? Tom Meese, you remember him? All right. You know how he died. This is the story for how he died. You can Google it up, and it's told very different ways. But basically, 
there was a 911 call that said um, a boy is drowning in the pool, right? And when the EMS people got there, Tom Meese was at the bottom of the pool, drowned, and his son was sitting on the side. I said, I don't, you know, you just you can kind of work out the details, and how does anybody really know? But, um, you know, that's all you know is that the call is there's a boy drowning, and when you get there, there's a father who's drowned instead. See, we, we've seen this a thousand times before. This gets played out every day in our own lives. Right? We understand this one for another. To be on the receiving end of one for another, especially when it gets this grim, my father, you know, or my God, my God, so it's there. So even in my slip, you see the wrong thing. So far, it's been about my father. Father, if this cup can pass from me. It's all been about his father. Now, the good news, I'll go all the way to the good news because this is tough. In the end, he's going to say, into your hands, my father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. People have been saying that prayer since the 12th century. Right? Hopefully your parents taught you to say that. You shouldn't be embarrassed if you still say it. But every life has this middle ground where you feel absolutely destroyed because you're dying, you're sick, your children are sick, your children are dying, your parents are dying, your, your parents are sick, you've lost your job, the world's gone straight to hell. You know, you knew it was right, you didn't do it. You knew it was right and told somebody else and they didn't do it. Just describe your own life. Everybody has this middle section that is on the way to, but not as far as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because here's the point. Yes, you will suffer, but your pain won't be permanent. But to be able to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? That's a pain that you won't experience. Or another way to talk about it, a very looser way to talk about it, is in Lent, Jesus suffers so you don't have to. This is what puts people off fasting and all the other spiritual disciplines, which is completely wrong. You fast and do the spiritual disciplines because out of love, right? You do those things out of love, out of a reminder, not so you can suffer with Jesus, although many times we can speak about, especially when you're ill, you're suffering, being bound to Jesus. But... Jesus suffers in a sense, if you think of it this way, Jesus is forsaken so you don't have to be forsaken. Maybe that's the best way to talk about it. So we come to that horror, Eli, Eli, Lama, Savakthana. I will hear that, the opening line of Psalm 22. And, um, you know, the sadness, a lot of the sadness, you shouldn't be looking at anybody else when you come to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. <clears throat> Right? And even even Easter Saturday, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be looking at anybody else. You shouldn't be looking at the soldiers. You shouldn't be looking at the Jews. You shouldn't be looking at the crowd that chooses Barabbas. You should only be looking at yourself, because you and I tend to pile on. I mean, when we say I'm a poor miserable sinner, what we say is, this is my fault too. And in response, Jesus doesn't flee us. Of course, the temptation is always to flee us. You know, is there another way for this cup to be drunk? Peter, you'll never be crucified. The thief on the cross, if you were ever any kind of, if you're, if you're really the Messiah, you know, come down from the cross and save us too. The Pharisees are the, at least the crowd that taunts him. If you're the son of God, come down from there. The same temptations that Jesus offered him uh, at the, in the very first Sunday of Lent in Matthew when he offered um, power and popularity and food and strength, right? 
because that's the kind of Messiah that a father, or I'm sorry, that the world loves. So I'm looking for this. Um, there's a quote in here by, by uh, Hans Irvin Balthasar, which I wanted to offer you, see if I can find it. Because, you know, sometimes I do things out of order. I know often you don't notice that. You're kind to just kind of, There's this beautiful. All right, I give, you know, free, free prizes at Easter if you find that. Where's the eight. number eight? See, you're so kind to me. There you go. So even in this great darkness, you remember that God is for you. Why, there is every sense that God is against Jesus. You've forsaken me. And he doesn't call him Father. God, you've forsaken me. And many of you have had that experience. You've, you've had that feeling. Objectively, such a thing is not true. Subjectively, you felt you're forsaken. You're alone. You're unloved. Objectively, such a thing can never be true. A Christian is never alone because the Holy Spirit is in him. Is never unloved because he bears the name of Christ. And is never forsaken because the Father honors the Son and Holy Spirit who constantly pray for you. So it's not, while you may feel forsaken often in your life, it is not in fact true. It is only true that Jesus was forsaken. So at point eight, here lies hope for the person who, refusing all love, damns himself. Will not the person who wishes to be totally alone find beside him in Sheol the someone big S? who is lonelier still, the son forsaken by the father, who will prevent him from experiencing his self-chosen hell to the end. You know, for you who are clever, I know, I think probably on Balthasar, I mean, you know, dare we hope that hell is empty? Yeah, we do dare hope for that. Whether it's empty, that's a whole other question. And, but don't discount the quote just based on what you may know about that. Instead, what I'd, like you to think, what I'd like you to think about is what I often ask you to think about at your baptism, which is when Jesus puts his name to you, he goes with you wherever. It's very common for people to come to a pastor, I suppose to a counselor too, or maybe to a friend, who, and say to a pastor, you can't possibly know what I'm going through. Which, of course, is true, right? We're each unique individuals, and we suffer our pains in individual ways. But in general... Right? The older you get, the more you've suffered and the more analogous your life is to other people. Well, the one person you can't say, hey, you never know what I went through, or you'll, you can't imagine what I'm going through, it's impossible for you to say that to Jesus. Because whatever you despair, you fall into, Jesus is already there waiting for you. Right? Whatever suffering you have, Jesus' suffering is greater and so, you know, you always stand on Jesus' shoulders in some sense. Whatever depression you have, Jesus has experienced this. And the death that you die has already been died for in Jesus. The death that you die, Jesus has already died. And so there is this sense already that Jesus is waiting for you in the darkness. Right? And you remember the old thing I've often said to you, which is, while your eyes don't work in the darkness... Your voice does. So when Jesus says things to you like, I love you, I baptize you, I'm for you, not against you, I will never hurt you, follow me, the darkness cannot 
deflect that, right? This is what it means for Jesus to be light in the darkness. And so you follow Jesus even when you can't see the way out yourself, which is then to be reliant on him and not to be reliant on yourself. And so I'm kind of at point seven, kind of, where I say to you that, you know, your destiny isn't determined by death because we don't make, we don't make peace with death or there's no detente with death and death is not natural. You were never meant to die, right? And you can relativize your death by being baptized and following Christ, right? The, the follow-on from this is that your life does have meaning, right? So, I mean, it's just so, it's so, so simple. Jesus loves me. Jesus will never hurt me. Jesus has suffered all that I've suffered and more. Jesus shows me the way out, and Jesus asks me to follow. And follow is this rich life, not just of staying out of hell or staying out of depression or staying out of loneliness, but of spending yourself for other people. What you're going to see is Jesus spend himself like currency for the world on the cross. That's what happens. And so, you know, here's the thing. This is why it's, you know, it's not hard for me to talk to you about tithing or giving alms or living in love or serving other people because this is just what you... This, I mean, when we don't get that, and frankly, it's nice that so many people do get this, but when, when churches don't get this, you just you kind of go, what the heck? Like, what, what do you think is happening here? Because this is what is happening here. That Jesus loves you and Jesus doesn't hurt you. Jesus will never hurt you. And Jesus comes to you in your worst moment and Jesus rescues you. And Jesus shows you the way out. And Jesus says, follow me. And when he does that, it's an act of love, not an act of, of hatred or even ruining your fun. Jesus asks you to follow him so that you can live a life that is full with meaning and extends forever right? And is someday perfected. So, you know, when people say, you know, why the disciplines or why love or why tithing or why mercy or why being open to people who don't look like us or why, 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 why? I mean, the question answers itself. There isn't anything else. This is all the church is. If the church isn't this, shut down, right? If the church is just a club of people who get together once a week for coffee and kind of nod at each other like, you know, we all know the secret handshake, I'd rather stay home. It would be so much, my weekend would be so much longer, right? You know? So, I mean, you know, just, just keep going. That's all I can tell you. And um, I, I'm kind of at point nine where Luther says, you know, we do what we do, and then we wait and see what the Lord will do, right? So you do your bit, and you see then uh, what the Lord will do, Right? So go to 12, and then we have to go do other things. Since I've been late for almost everything this morning, I'm going to try to actually get to the 11 o'clock service. But it's, it's late for a reason. I was up early and here early, but there's, it's been a lot of fun. There's been a lot cooking. So Jesus says he lays down his life, but no one takes it from him. Yes, but as I suggested earlier, that laying down and that taking up again must not be understood as play acting, as though Jesus is orchestrating the drama. Laying down his life is absolute obedience, abandonment, loss of control, and committing, to his, committing all to his Father. Jesus is eager for this. I thirst, right, the next word, I thirst, is essential to his not stopping short of going all the way to abandonment of self. It's not just I'm thirsty like I need water, you know, like my dog barks in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's not it. I thirst is like I'm going all the way to the end. I'm committed and nothing can stop me. 
Like, love is obedience, and so I'm all in. That's what I thirst is. Yes, of course it's about the water, and it's of course it's about the sponge and the wine and the hyssop and fulfilling all those things and the burning bush and Israel. It's all of that, of course. But it is most about this is where we're going and we're going to finish up. It is true that in the fourth gospel he trusts that the Father will not finally abandon him. I'm never alone because the Father is with me. That is exactly the same promise you have. Just make sure that you try to say that as you die and hopefully with a smile on your face that God will never abandon me. But that trust is vindicated only after the cup is empty. So there's a remarkable thing where Jesus does everything and then commends himself. Father, into your hands I commend myself, which is, you do with me what you will. And behind that, Luther's little dictum of, if the Lord does it to me, then it must be good. That is a difficult and holy way to go to your death that whatever the Lord does to me, it must be good because the Lord only does good things. That can either be the greatest deflection or the truest possible thing. Jesus loves me. Jesus won't hurt me. So Jesus, do with me what you wish. That trust is vindicated only after the cup is empty. The glory of the cross is precisely in the free abandonment lets everything go. And the whole point of every week here is trying to get you and me to freely abandon bit by bit because we grip things so tightly, starting with our lives and then our families and then our stuff and then our status and then our jobs and then everything else, right? So what you're trying to do is open your hands and let everything go. So I think we make no mistake when we hear Psalm 22 in the words, I thirst, right? Um, I've given you some stuff on Pentecost and you can sort of read through that if you want. Um, but you can, you know, you're just going to have to have a little bit of devotion for the week, okay? Yeah, I can't, I can't do any more for you. Believe me, I can't even do any more for myself. Uh, you know, let's pray. Try to remember, um, there's private confession, every two, not work dark tomorrow, but on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 5.30, 6.30, when I come to confession in the back. Um, nothing on Wednesday, Thursday, of course, Eucharist in the morning and the evening, and then Friday, Eucharist in the morning and um, um, tenebrae at night, and then the vigil, right, on Saturday. So come for the vigil and have some, have some fun. New members, remember there's a party after the vigil. Stay late and goof around and sleep through the early service and come to the late service. Or don't come at all. I forgive you. Because actually the vigil is the big deal, right? So, all right. Uh, thanks for everything. Have a really good Holy Week. Um, put your... Put, put, put your shoulder to the wheel, right? As love that is obedience. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.